Hello, I'm Todd Starnes, lead pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and I'm grateful that you joined us today. I hope and pray that this message will encourage you and bless you. And remember, you can find more information about us at odessafirstassembly.com. God bless you. So glad. Uh, I'm excited. You notice it's a little bit different this morning because we're, we're just doing things a little different. And I, I debated whether or not to kind of give you a heads up, but uh, I, I guess I will. I've been thinking something, which is kind of dangerous. Um, there's a saying, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but like, you know, like, you know, who thinks by himself thinks weird stuff. I don't know, it goes something like that. But um, uh, looking for, I don't know exactly when, but uh, we're uh, probably maybe in the fall. I don't know yet. I don't know. The Lord's going to have to lead. But I'm going to do a sermon series called Flip the Script. And what we're going to focus on in that sermon series is just, you know, kingdom principles are are upside down and backwards from the principles of the world. It could be better said that the world's principles are upside down and backwards of what we read biblically in Scripture and Scripture principles. And in doing that, we're also going to flip the script on service. That's kind of an illustration to the whole thing. So I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you exactly what that means, but what it means is this, is uh, you want to be here on time. Just start preparing right now to be here on time. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 40. This, this sermon, of course, is called The Promise from the Father. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I mean, this is Jesus, of course. This is after his death. This is after his resurrection. This is right before his ascension into heaven. Uh, as you know, I mean, after he was risen from the grave, he walked the earth for, uh, for quite a while after that, uh, for 40 days. And this is one of those things, one of those closing, like, just exclamation point things he's telling that... Uh, I'm sending the promise of my Father. And then Acts 2, verse 32, what we see is, of course, Peter preaching. The day of Pentecost, we we saw the video. I'm not going to focus on the first part of Acts, but we see the day of Pentecost has come. Pentecost was also a celebration uh, for for the Jewish nation. It It was the beginning of the festival of weeks. Uh, of, of harvest, they were celebrating the the harvest of wheat coming in, and so it's not. Uh, it wasn't by accident that God designed for the day of Pentecost to, ha- the, to happen on a day they were celebrating the harvest, because part of the purpose of, if not the most important part of purpose of the Holy Spirit, was to do the people of God on high to be what to be witnesses. Listen to me, church. I am going to talk about tongues today. I'm going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But church, listen to me. The reason that God undoes you with power, anoints you with power, is so that you can talk about what you've seen and what you've heard, what you've experienced. And when you are baptized in the fire of God, there's something different when you start to share about the life of Christ, what He's done on the inside of you. And I'm going to tell those embers begin to, they begin to 
trick, they begin to blow out and they begin to touch hearts and lives and, and people's hearts will burn and shift in them and they begin to say, just like the people on the day of, on the day of Pentecost, what, what do we do with this? And it gives you an open door to talk about the gospel. But in Acts 2.32, Peter, this is after, you know, the, the, it's happened, you know, the fire fell from heaven, there was the wind, all that was taking place, and um, Peter's preaching, and he just, I mean, he just pretty much said, hey, you know, all you guys that are hearing me right now, you crucified Jesus, we all did, and talking about the gospel, but Acts 2.32, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, has, he has poured out this on you, yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter's giving a description. Listen, this is that promise that he told us. Of course, we know that, I mean, you know, chapters and verses, they, you know, they, that's not the originally the way the Scripture was written, but this is what Peter's referring back to that Jesus talked about, about the promise from the Father, from the promise of the Father. And listen to me. I, I just want you to know that it's important that Peter points out that Jesus ascended and he's at the right hand of God. He's at the right hand of the Father. Why? He, I mean, God, Jesus we know was fully God and he is fully man. And that resurrected form, it is still the glorified, it's still the glorified body. He's a resurrected man that is in one place at the right hand of the Father. And God knew this. And because he knew this, he had already planned and prepared a promise. I could go through dozens of verses. I, I, I knew it was going to be short on time this morning, so I, I can't get into them all. But whether you read Ezekiel or Isaiah or there's so many verses that talk about the promise of the Father coming. There's going to be, and, and, and the terminology that's used so many times is that of a rain or a spring and, and the desert receiving this life-giving water. It's so, it's, it's so beautiful, it, it's so powerful, but it's the promise from the Father. But when Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, that's what gave him the authority to fulfill the promise of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Jesus even said, it's better for you that I go. Because unless I go, the Holy Spirit, he can't come. He's not going to come. I have to go for him to, to come. And I'm going to tell you this morning, the, the Holy Spirit is not some weird phenomenon. The Baptists believe in the Holy Spirit. The Methodists believe in the Holy Spirit. Church of Christ believe in the Holy Spirit. Catholics believe in the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit is just not something for a Pentecostal or a charismatic church. If there's a foundational belief that most of us have, is that there is the Trinity. It's the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But I just want to share with you just very quickly, I, does anybody know who John Wesley was? Anybody, raise your hand if you would, John, John Wesley lived in the seventh, matter of fact, he lived from 1703 to like 1790-something. John Wesley, the, the father of the Methodist movement, John and Charles Wesley. Matter of fact, we, we throughout the, the, the history of church, we have sang many hymns that Charles Wesley wrote. But listen to me, the father of the Methodist movement, I want to read you an excerpt of one of his sermons. He said this, 
it does not appear that these extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost, tongues, prophecy, miracles, were common in the church more than two or three. What he's saying is, what we know is, is that when the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in operation, it just wasn't the first century, but it's also the second and the third century. Are you following me? They were common in the church. We seldom hear of them after that period when Emperor Constantine called himself a Christian and from a vain imagination of promoting the Christian cause, thereby heap riches and power and honor upon the Christians in general, but in particular upon the Christian clergy. From this time, they almost ceased. So what he's saying is, is that Constantine was really used as a tool to squelch the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? And so he goes on to say, the cause of this was not because there was no more occasion for them, because all the, but, but because all the world was become Christian, this was a miserable mistake. Not a 20th part of it was then nominal for Christian. The real cause was the love of many waxed cold. The Christians had no more of the Spirit of Christ than other heathens. Man, this guy was preaching. The Son of Man, when he came to examine his church, could hardly find faith upon the earth. This was the real cause why the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost was no longer found in church. Wow. That was a Methodist. Let's, let's talk about a Baptist really quick. Charles Spurgeon. You may have heard of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he's known as the prince of, of preachers. He said in a sermon, he lived in the 1800s, 1830 to 1890, something like that. And he had a sermon titled, The Urgent Need of the Holy Spirit. So you see, dear friends, that the, first of all, to keep the church happy and holy within herself, there must be a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, that the church may invade the territories of the enemy and may conquer the world for Christ. But she must first be clothed with self-same sacred energy. We may then go further and say that the power of the church for external work will be proportionate to the power which dwells in her. Come on, somebody say amen. He goes on to say, gauge the energy of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers and you may fairly calculate their influence upon unbelievers. Only let the church be illuminated by the Holy Spirit and she'll reflect the light and become to onlookers the fair as the moon, clear as the sun, the terrible banner for the army. I mean, I, when I was reading those things, I thought, wow, I mean, these are men that live, I mean, two and three hundred years ago. And I'm going to tell you something, there, it is, there is an explosion happening worldwide when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've said, mentioned this before, what we have found is what church in general has found are areas and countries where missionaries were sent from other denominations that have not believed 
that tongues is for today, that tongues is part of the work of the Holy Spirit, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. So many of those denominations that believe that, just like we were in so many countries, that were closed. So what happens is maybe through, because of um, a Sharia law or Muslim rule, many missionaries have to leave that particular country. And then sometimes what we have seen, especially in East Africa, is those countries begin to open back up. So agencies begin to send their missionaries again. And so there were Church of Christ, there were Baptists, there were, there were other denominations going back to their missions work. And you know what they were finding? They were finding the churches that they left filled in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Matter of fact, to the point, to the point that even our friends, our brothers, our brothers in Christ, the Southern Convention Baptist has changed their doctrine. Think about it for a moment. This, this is not just some flash in the pan thing. The fastest growing Christian group is Pentecostals. I mean, think about that. Why? Because that is our mission, to take the gospel to the world with conviction, with, with endowment from power. And it is not my goal this morning to make any other believer, Christian denomination to feel that. That's not, if you, you know that's not the way that I'm wired. That's not the way that we're wired. But listen to me. I think for far too long, you see, I, let, let me maybe put it this way. I, gotta, I can't let time fool me because I started preaching earlier. But all the years I've traveled, I'm going to tell you, I, I really classed myself as a revivalist. I really did. I, I, wasn't, I was more than just a missionary evangelist. And I'm going to tell you, I got to travel so many places and all over for, for really not even, even before I did it full time, I, I went to so many places and, and got to preach. And I'm going to tell you, I, I've been, I, I just been front row to see God do some amazing things. Some amazing manifestations and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, last week, and sometimes you'll hear me say this. I try not to do it, but sometimes I do. But I, I just want to kind of, I, I kind of felt bad after service last week. And I was talking to Angela. I was like, I really hope the church understands when I say this. But sometimes I say, this is good preaching. And I, I'm going to tell you why that I say that. I'm, I say that not because I think that it's me, but I'm hearing it for the first time too. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm going to tell you, I ain't that smart. It's got to be the Holy Spirit that's doing that work for some of these words that come out of my mouth. I'm going to tell you, you have one conversation with you, like, oh, yeah, he really needs the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, the Bible says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5, I want to read just a, a, a parable. We're not going to park there long, or, but I want to talk to you about it just for a second. Because I, the reason why I kind of preface that, because I think maybe for the eight years that I've been here, we've always celebrated Pentecost Sunday. We've, I mean, I have done sermons and sermons and sermon series, and we've done altar calls and preached. And, um, but I don't know, I, coming in to this Sunday, I thought, you know what? I, I, there can be no doubt, no question of what I believe biblically is for everybody. And I'm going to tell you something. For anybody that's been touched with the Spirit of God and immersed with the Holy Spirit, to have that baptism of the Holy Spirit, able to pray in the Holy Spirit, you fully understand the purpose and the work that it does in you, and you want everyone to know that, right? 
In Luke chapter 11, we read, And he said to them, chapter 11, verse 5, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. That was before ring doorbell. And I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7, And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse 8. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What, I mean, what does be, Arvin, the guy was being annoying. He's not going away. He's asking. He's saying, I need some fresh bread. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. See, we, we jump to verse 9 and kind of forget what the whole passage is about. But listen to me. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find not, and it will be open to you. Look, verse 10 is the qualifier. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open to you. What father among you if your son asks for a fish, will instead give him for a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And what Scripture goes on to tell us, that if you ask for the Holy Spirit, that Father that has promised the Holy Spirit, He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so listen to me. I do pray in the Holy Spirit daily. I cannot function without that work in my life. I talked last Sunday about, you know, about being hangry, you know, that when you know, we get hungry, we get angry, we get in a bad mood. I mean, the same things happens to us spiritually. I'm going to tell you, for, I, I need that work of the Holy Spirit in my life to keep me from being spiritually hangry. We got too many believers that look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. As one of my former pastors used to say, a lot. I pray in the Holy Spirit daily. Why? Because the Holy Spirit builds my spirit. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. That's not like a prideful thing. That's a strengthening thing. You pray in that heavenly language because it strengthens your spirit. You pray in that heavenly language because it strengthens your spirit. Listen to me. If you're falling at every temptation, then pray in the Holy Spirit daily. If you are struggling with anxiety and depression, then start praying in the Holy Spirit daily. If you're having relationship issues of those that surround you, then start praying in the Spirit daily. It will do something on the inside of you. It will strengthen you. It will bring the promises of God into your memory. You'll walk different. You'll act different. And you might even start bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. It does say, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. I love, we, I had a quick conversation with Shaylee the other night about that, about when we speak those prophecies, that what our prophecy does to the church is when we speak in tongues what it does to us. But praying in the Holy Spirit, did you know that it brings glory to Jesus? In John 16, 14, it says, He will glorify me. This is Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit, He will glorify me. Why? For He will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Listen to me. I'm going to give you a secret to the kingdom. Are you ready? Yes. 
I'm going to give you a secret to the kingdom. Everything, everything in our life and what we're about should bring glory to Jesus. You see, when someone gets saved, do you know what that does? That glorifies Jesus. See, I think sometimes we make the uh, Christian things or church things or scriptural things, I, I, I think sometimes we might make it just a little bit too much about us. Now, I mean, if you're like me, you, I mean, you, you really need God, right? You need God to intervene on your behalf. You need that work on the inside of you. I get that. I understand that. But listen, but even all that happens inside of us, you know what it should do? It should glorify Jesus. When we get saved, you know what it does? It glorifies Jesus. When we get redeemed, you know what it does? It glorifies Jesus. When, when, we, get, when we get delivered, you know what that does? That glorifies Jesus. Do you know why? Because it's what he died for. It's what he paid for. It's the price that he paid for the exchange to happen in your life. See, so it has to do something far greater than just me of God doing this work in my life. But whatever work that God does in me, it brings glory to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon went on to say this. The Holy Ghost takes the nature of Christ and shows it unto us. Is it, it is easy to say, I believe him to be God or man. But the point is to apprehend that he is God and therefore able to save or even to work impossibilities and to believe that he is a man and therefore feels for you, sympathizes with you, and therefore is a brother born to help you in your adversities. May the Holy Ghost make you see the God-man tonight. May he show you the humanity of the deity of Christ as they are most blessedly united in his uh, adorable person, and you will be greatly comforted thereby. I wish I could write like that. So listen. I do want to focus on Pentecost and, and the baptism. We look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're talking about the promise of the Father. We know, and we're going to look at it just a second in Acts in different places, about the process, about how all this happens and why that it happens. And is it for today? Is it not for everybody? All those kinds of questions, but I kind of want to start off with these two verses in 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to, we're going to read verse 5, and we're going to read verse 39 if you have your Bibles and you want to look there and, and maybe be ready. 1 Corinthians 14, 5, it says this, now I want you all to speak in tongues. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and what does he say? I want you all to speak in tongues. Now was everybody in the Corinthian church an apostle? Well, I'd stand to reason no. Was everybody in the Corinthian church a pastor? It would stand to reason no. Was everybody in the Corinthian church a deacon? It would stand to reason no. But what did he say? I want you all to speak in tongues. And yes, he does say, but even more prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. But he does say, I want all to speak in tongues. Now listen to me. It doesn't say, I want some... I don't want the exceptional. It doesn't say I want the, the blessed. It doesn't say I want the assembly of Godders. It doesn't say I want the church of Godders. It says what? All. 
1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my brothers earnestly desire prophecy, and look what it says. Do not forget, forbid the speaking in tongues. Do not forbid the speaking in tongues. So we have two verses, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church about tongues. Listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something you see and something you hear. When you get filled, immer- and I want to remind you again that uh, we know, do you understand what baptism means? Baptism, like when we talk about, because we're dunkers, we're, we put them under the water. Some, some of you, we need to hold a little longer than others, but we're, we, you know, we go into the water. And the reason why we do that, because we believe that word baptism, baptizo, means immersion. It means to be fully, and, and the symbolism of water baptism is what? When you go under that water, that represents the grave. And that old man dies. And when you come up out of that water, it's a symbolism of Christ coming out of the grave, and you're that new creation. There's immersion that happens in the water. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same way, except there's something just a little bit different. And if you've been in Pentecost for a long time, listen, to, you may have never heard this before, but I'm going to tell you something that we don't hear too often. When, when we see and we read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this immersion that's supposed to take place, there's a, in the Greek wording, the way that it's spelled and worded and all that fancy you know, theological stuff that you can do, it, it, it lends to another, you guys know I love word pictures. I love, like, you know, when I, I like things that are descriptive. But you know what kind of, what, what imagery they were giving when they were writing these letters and talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They were, it was in, in reference to the Holy Spirit hovering over Mary at the conception of Christ. Think about that for a moment. Because the, he talks about the Holy Spirit being What? upon he's within and he's upon and the holy spirit wants to burst something in you so when the holy spirit shows up there's something you see in here there's something you see in here i like the way that uh, the message it talks about uh, uh this verse it says in first corinthians 14 39 don't tell people how they should or shouldn't pray when they're praying in tongues that you don't understand. And that's really what Paul was writing. You may not understand what is happening when they're praying in the Spirit, but don't forbid it. Everyone knows when the Holy Spirit shows up that stuff happens. In Acts 2, we read it. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, what they were gathered together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there what? There was this mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house, and there were tongues of fire that divided upon each of them, and they began what? They began to speak in other tongues. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Now listen to me, what we do know when we go in the, in the Acts is that what the, the languages people were hearing were their own languages because all kinds of different people groups had come into Jerusalem. And we know that what was being spoken on the day of Pentecost from the upper room were other languages that those men and women did not know. And they were speaking in earthly languages. But the scripture doesn't disqualify that that's the only thing they were speaking. I mean, we don't know because we weren't there. And then you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. And Peter, so this is after that moment, after Acts 2 and verse 4, we get to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, 
and of what we are all witnesses. Remember us reading that? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received the promise of the Father, this Holy Spirit, and then we read this. He has poured out this of what yourselves are seeing and hearing. When the Holy Spirit does it, you're going to see something and you're going to hear something. So let's just, let's just not even talk about tongues right there just for a second. But let's talk about it this way. You're going to start walking different and you're going to start talking different. And there's a change that happens on the inside of you. And then people are going to say, what's different about you? We believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he comes and that initial evidence is speaking in tongues. We see it. Acts 2.4, they get into speaking in other tongues. But I kind of want to take you through a process of why that we believe that in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is about um, Peter and John going to Samaria. Now, Samaria is the modern-day West Bank. So you picture that? You know, I mean, we should... In the news this week, we should fully understand Jerusalem and the West Bank and Gaza and all that's going on. So modern-day Samaria is what's now the West Bank. And so something happened. In chapter 8, Philip went to Samaria, and he preaches Jesus. He preaches Jesus. And you can, you can pick up in verse 1 and read about this. And many, the Bible says, heard him while he preached. And he's preaching, and miracles start to take place. So Philip's preaching, he's preaching the gospel, miracles start taking place. People are delivered from demons, Um, the Bible says that paralyzed were healed, the lame walked. So some awesome stuff is happening in Samaria, and people begin to come to faith, and it even says that they're being baptized in water. Then we get to Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. And it says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. So Philip's there, he's preaching the gospel, cool stuff's happening, all the, you know, the apostles who were disciples, and now you know, in Acts they transition to apostles, they hear what's going on, they send you know, the two big guns, Peter and John. So Peter and John get there, and they... It says, they, and they had received the word of God. Peter and John go, verse 15, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they got saved. But, but they got saved. They were saved and baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But now we're talking about a different, a subsequent encounter of the Holy Spirit. I, some of you know what I'm, I'm hinting towards, right? See, they got saved, but there was more. And when Peter and John got there, they introduced them to the more. Because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so who came down and prayed for them that they might receive? I thought you got the Holy Spirit as salvation. You do! He's what makes you a new creation. But there's also another encounter with the Spirit of God that you can have that empowers you with a power that you need from heaven. So look, 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 look. Would you agree with me? The Scripture says they were already saved. They're Christians. They're believers. I mean, well, you can disagree with Acts and Luke and the Holy Spirit. But anyway... 
For he had not yet fallen, for he had not yet, for he had not yet fallen on any. They were saved. They were Christians. If they were to die that day, they would have gone to heaven. They got baptized in water, but the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen on them. He hadn't hovered, he hadn't immersed them yet with the promise of the Father that endues with power. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they what? They laid their hands on them and they what? I thought they already had the Holy Spirit. They were saved. Come on, somebody help me. They had laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, and this is a guy there, right? So he sees all this happening. And granted, Acts 8 doesn't specifically tell us that they're speaking in tongues. But when the Holy Spirit arrives, what do we know? We know that there is something that is seen and there is something that is heard. And so Simon saw something and heard something. And he's like, man, I got some money. I want to be able to do this kind of stuff, guys. And of course, Peter's like, no, that's, that's not the way that it works. How about Ephesus? Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. Ephesus is modern-day Turkey. And so what happens in Ephesus, it's, it's, it's actually, I love this, right? It's like, you know, you go, if, you, if you're in Israel and you go north, you're going to go through Lebanon, you're going to go through Syria, and then you're going to get to Turkey. Yes, I looked on a map to make sure. Because I know some of you are like, man, he knows where Turkey is. I, no, I didn't. Modern-day Turkey. And it's one of the most emphasis, I mean, growing up in a Pentecostal church, I think I've heard more sermons on this passage than any other. Have you received since you believed? You don't even have to know the verse, and surely you've maybe heard that if you've been in a Pentecostal. Have you received? And that's where this comes from, Acts 19. And so as it happened, verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And, you know, I really didn't catch it until this morning. I mean, how many times do you read a verse over and over and over and over, and you're like, I never put that together before. But listen to me. Verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, no. We have not heard there's a Holy Spirit. But what they begin to tell him in verse 3 is that they have been baptized. I mean, he asked them, what baptism have you gotten? And they said, John's baptism. Think about how the gospel is already spreading I mean, to me, that really just struck me because they, they, apparently these guys had heard John the Baptist preach and went back to Turkey, went back to Ephesus. I mean, they said we are the, John's disciples, so they knew about repentance because that's what John the Baptist preached. And so they knew that, but Paul was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, there's some things that have happened since you left. In verse 4. And Paul said, John baptized the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who's to come after him, that is Jesus, and Jesus showed up. I mean, that's, that's what Paul is preaching here. And, and Jesus showed up. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when they got baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, what would they qualify as? Would they qualify as Christians? Did they get saved? Right? They got saved. And then you look in verse 6, and when Paul laid his hands on them, what did the Holy Spirit do? He came. 
And when he came, what they begin to do? Begin to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Isn't scripture awesome? They begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. There was a manifestation that could be seen or heard, and it's the pattern of the book of Acts. Cornelius' house, I think, is one of my favorite. And you find about Cornelius in chapter 10 between Peter and Cornelius. We're not talking about the minor and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But a centurion that was a, that was a real guy from Italy that was in the northern part of Israel. In Acts chapter 10, verse, so what happens is, it tells us, if you read the first part of Acts 10, that Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He prayed, he gave, he gave money, he gave, he, he worshipped, he did, but yet Cornelius is a Gentile. What does that mean? Well, that means that he wasn't like one of the apostle disciples or the Jewish people. He's like, he was like us. He was like us, unless you're, of course, of Jewish descent, and, which is fine. But if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And at this point, a Gentile hasn't been saved yet that we know of, at least through, because of Scripture. And so he sinned, so God, an angel uh, speaks to Cornelius. He's like, go get, send some guys, go get Peter. So these guys, they, make, they start making their way to Joppa where Peter was. While this is happening, Peter gets on a rooftop and he's praying. And as he's praying, a sheet comes from heaven and there's all these unclean things in the sheet. And, and he's hungry and the Lord says to him, Peter, rise and eat. And he's like, oh Lord, I can't, that, there's pigs in that. I can't eat that. That's why I really like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And Jesus says, don't call, don't call what I have sanctified, what I have blessed as common. <laughs> That's a whole nother sermon when you look in the mirror. <laughs> I'm really feeling this this morning. I, hopefully you're with me. Huh? And so Peter has this vision. It happens three times, and these guys show up. And Peter's like, I really don't know what's going on. I mean, Scripture actually tells us that Peter's kind of confused of what's all going on. But he sees the Lord in it, and he goes with these men. So he gets to Cornelius' house. And he begins to preach, to share the gospel. Because Peter's thinking, I know what Peter's got to be thinking, but these guys are Gentiles. They're not God. I mean, matter of fact, in his sermon, he talks about how that the Jewish people are the people of God. And if you're not Jewish, you're not. And that's really what he tells Cornelius. But yet he's, but yet he's had this vision, this dream the Lord's given him. And so he's sharing the gospel. And you know what happens? God starts moving in Cornelius' house. And in verse 34, I love verse 34. Verse 34, it says, Truly, I, this is Peter. He opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Because something happened right there. In one moment, in one instant, the people in Cornelius' house were filled in the Holy Spirit and saved. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, listen, the Holy Spirit, so he's still preaching. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Gentiles, who had come 
or that, that's, the, uh, that's the Jewish people who had come with Peter, were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was even given to us. <laughs> For they were hearing them. Remember, it's something as seen as heard. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. We see in verse 7. And so they're not even baptized in water yet. And they're like, well, God saved them and God filled them the Holy Ghost. I guess we've got to dunk them. Verse 47. Really quickly. I, 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 need, a, I need a really quick. So here's some myths. Here's myths that we've all heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. It was only for the apostles. Surely, through the scriptures we have read this morning, you see that it was just not for the apostles. But it was for the entire church at Corinth. It was for Cornelius. It was for the believers in Turkey. Do you hear me this morning? Obviously, it was just not, I hear it all, it was just for the apostles. Well, it would not, I mean, we see scriptural evidence that it was more than for the apostles. I mean, the Bible even says in Acts 2.39, the promise, is for, the promise from the Father, the Holy Spirit, is for you, for your children, all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord calls. Everybody. So listen, so this also brings us to another thing. Who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? Everyone. I hear so many, well, that's not for me. No, it, he really is. And I, that, Acts 2.39 tells you the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. Acts 10.45, and the believers among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was upon. I mean, it's one thing to say, I mean, we're not, he's just not even, the Holy Spirit is not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles. Some say it was for the first century church. Well, it was more than just for the apostles. It was for the, well, I already talked to you about an excerpt of John Wesley's sermon that he points out the fact that we know that people spoke in tongues and operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the second century and the third century, and that is historical. That is historical evidence. But he also says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So right there, that's what a lot of people say, it's not for today. Why? Because there's going to be a day where prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And so we believe the truth of Scripture, right? I mean, that's true. But listen, there's a qualifier here in verse 9 and 10. For we know in part and prophesy in part, verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the impartial will pass away. So at what point... Well, tongues and prophecy, this, when will it pass away? When perfection comes. Okay, not a rhetorical question. I want you to respond, okay? If you are perfect, raise your hand. Well, then guess what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that this message was an encouragement to you. Remember, you can find more about us at odessafirstassembly.com and also across the social media platforms. It is our prayer that God blesses you, keeps you, sustains you, 
And if you're ever in the area of the Permian Basin, come and join us at Odessa First Assembly. God bless you.